Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Equipping You podcast. This is season one, episode four. We're almost halfway through the first season. We're coming to you today from the base of America's mountain, Pikes Peak, where America the Beautiful was written for Purple Mountain Majesty. The theme today is music, so I thought I'd (laughs) sing a little bit. Not sure why you thought that was a good idea. Well, nonetheless, I did do it. My name's Terry, and I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, the church planning leader for the Alliance in eastern Pennsylvania. And I'm sitting across the desk from A.J. Gutierrez, who's now wearing his third different hat since we started recording our podcast. He is a man of many hats, and uh, we appreciate his uh, good work. Thank you for your appreciation for my singing, Alan. If you want to interpret it that way, you're welcome to. Thank you. Thank you. I have interpreted it that way for years. Mm -hmm. So today, we're actually going to talk about worship, not just music. That's right. And uh, privileged to have one of our own Alliance uh, folks with us, Aaron Schuess, who's made a great impact on the Christian music scene throughout America and around the world. So uh, what do you like about Aaron Schuess and his uh, worship music, Alan? Ah. I'll tell you what, for a while there, um, you know, when he first hit the scene with... Um, my Savior. My Savior. Well, I went blank on that. But seriously, our, our church has sung that uh, a bunch of times, and I still go back to it. I keep it on my worship playlist uh, yeah. just to, just so it surfaces every now and then, because it, it's a powerful song. Yeah, a lot of great songs. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to talking to uh, Aaron and uh, letting him give some insight to our Equipping You podcast listeners about... Uh, worship music in the local church. So with that, I will sing no more, and we will go to uh, interviewing our uh, new friend, Aaron Schust. So we're pleased to welcome to the Equipping You podcast uh, today, Aaron Schust, uh, Christian artist, music artist. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. My honor. Uh, Alan and I uh, kind of went back and forth between auditioning to be a part of your band, maybe backup singers, <laughs> or uh, seeing if you could be interviewed on our podcast. So we chose the second, thinking the first might be a little risky. I always need some good do up guys. I th- yeah, do background vocals. You know, I think the word always I think the word good eliminated both of us. I'm pretty sure yeah, that, that, that throws that out. <laughs> good call, but you had the do up part. Though. We'll yeah. save you the work of actually having to make a choice. We're grateful for good. We're grateful for good musicians. So we're grateful for you, Alan. Kick us off. So, Aaron, I'm sure we might as well get this out of the way ahead of time. I'm sure that Terry wants everyone to know that you went to Tacoa Falls College, America's finest Bible college. America's 
finest. Absolutely. The and sun never sets on the graduates of Tacoma Falls College, as they love to say. Amen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> are, we, are we done now, fanboys? Probably not. But, <laughs> all right. I was just there last Keep time. I, I kicked off my fifth annual Christmas tour unto us this past weekend uh, at the old alma mater, and it was uh, pretty fantastic. Good for you. Good to be back. Saw a little bit of it on Facebook Live, so yeah, good deal. Very good. So what made you choose TFC back in the day? Well, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, There were probably a couple factors. My mom graduated from there, so I heard a lot about it growing up. Um, Though living in Pennsylvania, um, every time I would go to an Alliance camp in the summertime, all the counselors often at least, were from Nyack College. And so it was right around um, my senior year that I started balking with the idea of not attending Tacoa Falls like I thought I would since I was in sixth grade. I actually made a little countdown to college on an index card. With I drew a little emblem of Tacoa Falls College in sixth grade. Uh, I think we can look back and say this was a God-ordained thing. But I started, like, <laughs> like in, you know, my senior year, I knew a lot of people who were attending Nyack, and I didn't know anybody in Tacoa. And I thought maybe I should uh, maybe I should just go to Nyack. And I think when I told my mom that in July, like a month before I would have left for Tacoa, she started to cry. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just going to stick to my guns, <laughs> stick to the plan, plan A. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, I, I uprooted myself, left all my friends in Pennsylvania and family, and went down south. And I, I like to say I stayed because it was warm. You know, growing up in Pennsylvania with the snow shovels always at the ready, it was kind of nice to be in Georgia. Indeed. We actually met your mother the last time we were on the campus of Tacoa Falls College, and she does seem like a rather uh, persuasive lady, and, and <laughs> yes. uh, she's she very be. proud of her son, I might add. So. Oh, that's sweet. I'm proud of her. She's a fantastic um, Bible student and Bible teacher and um, just a dear, dear person. So It's so great. It's a great. And lucky to be able to grow up in, under, her, under her wing. Yeah, great heritage, huh? So uh, after you graduated from... Uh, TFC, uh, what did your ministry look like in uh, the initial years following that? Well, I had started, you know, I, I think I started writing songs. And it was, I've been, you know, singing in church since I was three years old. My mom was, you know, in charge of the music. They didn't call her the music director, maybe, but um, it was just a small church. But she was always in charge of the music. And, you know, I, I could sing in key and on tune and all that good stuff. So she put me up on stage since I was three to sing solos and in the kids' choirs and stuff. So church and music has always been a part of my life. But uh, I, I didn't start writing songs until I left for college. And so during that, those four, four and a half years, it was between, you know, writing songs about life, about this girl that I like, this girl that didn't like me, about how life was tough. But then I started writing songs about my spiritual journey and how, you know, I desire to do this, but I do this. And God, are you faithful? Yeah, I want to be faithful. Like, help me. You know, there's that college angst, but through a spiritual lens, you know. And I started a band. I recorded some songs my, you know, my senior year. started a band right after college, lived in town a couple extra months just to, just you know picking up odd jobs but I wanted to develop this band uh, I, I learned a lot about what it means to work in a band setting you know saying okay drums come in here okay drums drop out here and that that was you know I was it was fodder for leading worship in the future even though I didn't realize that I wasn't writing worship songs yet but I felt God calling me yeah, in my young 20s to pursue looking for a real job you know being a little being uh what's the way to look for it just um, responsible, one of the responsible <laughs> jobs, but within the field that I knew, you know? So here I have a degree in music education, high school chorus, but I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I'm passionate about that. Even though I'm qualified, I'm not passionate about it. But I am passionate about this church and music. 
So I started looking around in churches um, in the Atlanta area. Uh, fast forward a couple couple months later, this church, this Presbyterian mega church, I would call it a mega church in Atlanta, hired me as a as a not as a worship leader, but as an arranger to arrange music for the music for their bands, for their orchestra, for their choirs, like you know charts and whatnot. Um, they interviewed me. I should say they interviewed me for that, and they did not hire me for that. I'm misremembering my own past. Wow. They did hire me as a worship leader. Okay. Um, it was crazy. They took me out to uh, you know Mexican one time and said, "Hey, we uh, you know six months, no joke, six months into the interview process, like, hey, we found another guy who's better at this than you are, <laughs> but we like the way you lead worship, so we'd like to hire you both. Is that okay if you split a salary? Like, <laughs> sounds good to me. Let's do it." Um, and so I started, and all of a sudden, my my band, and I'll close here, my my band audience, uh, not just playing shows for my friends on Friday nights at coffee houses in the college town of Tacoa anymore. But now my audience was a congregation every Sunday morning. And my congregation, um, you know, they would gather whether they wanted to be there or not. You know, you, it, it's what a different feeling from a Friday night where people come and they're excited for a concert to Sunday morning where they would often just kind of fold their arms and sit in their chairs. And you kind of had that sense of, hey, entertain me. Mm. And I'm like, wow. And I, it, it started me thinking, you know, I'm asking people to stand up and sing words that the God of creation hears. And he inhabits the praises of his people. Do we do we get that? Mm. Do we get the, the the largeness of what's happening? And I started to write songs that fit the audience of the Sunday morning experience. This is around age twenty four for me. Yeah. Wow. So fast forward to two thousand six, and you quite literally burst onto the Christian worship and music radar with "My Savior, My God." Uh, I know my church has sung that more times than I can count, and uh, I engage with it very well. It's actually on my Spotify worship playlist even now. Um, but tell us the story behind that song. I've never heard the story behind that. It came out of a season of of writing with other worship leaders in my church, um, pulling from old hymns. We just, uh, I think not too long before, Passion, um, you know, Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, and you know, led by Louis Giglio and team, Christy Knuckles, they had kind of gone through a lot of old hymns and um, refreshed them, you know, put them to uh, put them on, on the template of the modern worship band, drums, bass, electric. And, uh, but it was just beautiful. And I grew up singing the hymns in church. And so it was really refreshing to hear them sound modern, you know, and I think it was actually called hymns, modern and ancient, maybe was the subtitle oh, I remember of the that. album. Yeah. 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 The brown cover. Yeah. Uh, loved it. Loved it. So like Ferris Lord Jesus, but not with an organ and a piano and a choir, but with like drums, electric, piano. And it just sounded beautiful. And we just kind of got excited about that concept and started digging through old hymnals, new hymnals, um, not just going for the obvious amazing graces, but trying to find some hymns that maybe we had never heard of by digging through those hymnals. And whenever a lyric would jump off the pages, inspiring or challenging, encouraging, moving to us, we would say, let's let's teach this to our congregation. Let's use, uh, you know, our musical hobbies, and let's put some uh, let's put some good good music around these old great words. And uh, and one of those songs that I uh, I came across in a, uh, in a in the Tyndale One Year Book of Hymns didn't even have any music stabs, like no notes or anything, just the words. Was this uh, hymn entitled "I Am Not Skilled to Understand," and I was just flipping through, and that, that was a very long. And when I read it, a very strange title for a hymn. But I've never seen <laughs> sure. this. And so I started reading through these stanzas. And honestly, here I, I mentioned working at a Presbyterian church. I didn't grow up Presbyterian, 
And, uh, and shortly after myself and a couple other young uh, individuals were hired, they said, hey, we're putting these people up on stage to lead our people in the worship realm. And uh, we're not quite sure that theologically we're all on the same page. Let's put these guys through a 12-week cr- uh, crash course on the doctrines of grace, or as I learned in college, Calvinism. <laughs> and so I was kind of uh, hesitant as I'm, I'm like, they're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean God does this? What do you mean Jesus does this? What do you mean this, that, the other? Um, but uh, the more I studied and the more I investigated, I'm like, well, it's even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense to my finite brain, I, I'm to the best of my understanding, seeing it here in black and white, this is what God said, this is what God does. And it brought me to a place of saying, uh, like Isaiah 55, 8 says, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And it made me bow the knee and say, God, I don't understand you, but I, I trust you. I believe you're good and I respect you. And so in those first words of this new hymn crossed my eyes, I am not skilled to understand what God is will. There was, it was like a lightning bolt, like immediately, like, hey, this means so much to me. There have got to be people in my church that need to hear these words. So right then and there, I started writing the most simple melody I could come up with because I wanted people to be able to sing the words. Oh, yeah, makes sense. That's something that's so important to me. I may even talk about that later, but um, just in general. Uh, but I, I didn't have any designs to get this on the radio. Uh, I think the beauty of the process, as far as this song's concerned at least, is that something came to me, something moved me, something spoke to me. I desired to share it with the people in my sphere of influence which was the Sunday morning service at Perimeter Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. Wow. Yeah. That's a great and, uh, story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. 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 That same uh, old hymn is in the Alliance, uh, one of the old Alliance hymnals, too, I uh, discovered. But I don't believe I had ever uh, sang the old version, but love the new version. So Interesting. I wonder, like the, the, uh, the hymns of the Christian life? The hymns of the Christian life. It is in there. I looked it up one time. So How about that? I'm not sure I realized that. I have a copy of that. Yeah, so you have on to look it up. On my piano. Yeah, you have to look it up. So how would you say, Aaron, that you've grown as a worship leader uh, over the years? I used to make more comments during a worship set, and that was in a, in a pure-hearted desire to lead people to, um, to, to try to convince them like, Hey, like kind of like I shared just a little bit earlier, like, wow, do we, and there are, there are, there are times that I still do this, but I comment less. I comment less today. I think maybe I've, I've sat under the leadership of people. And it's, it's interesting. I used to, um, I'm getting on rabbit trails here. Sorry. Right. Uh, I used to, I used to criticize myself in a, in a holy moment, like a worship moment like we're like singing in church on a sunday morning when i'm sitting under someone else's leadership and just be like aaron don't criticize aaron don't don't overanalyze what the worship leader is saying aaron don't overanalyze the the chord progression that the band chose to play um but i think as a worship leader i think that's gonna it's gonna be natural for me to do that and i want to hone my skills i want to hone my own craft i want to learn from people I think about my, my time leading worship at uh, Crestmont Alliance Church in Pennsylvania between 2010 and 2016. Um, there was myself and there was another guy, John Jordan. And there were so many times that I just found myself saying, man, that was a fantastic way to open worship. I never, I never do that. I need to incorporate that. And I think it's okay to, to watch other people and to learn from other people. Um, and one of the things that I began uh, doing a few years ago from a men's retreat that I was in charge of the worship for uh, was just incorporating scripture. And I just saw that as such a powerful thing. So I, to answer your question in, in, in a nutshell, I comment less 
uh, from my own heart, my own commentary. Like it's, it's, for example, like, you know, hey, this next song we're going to sing, it just makes me think of, you know, how we need to la, 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 and we need to do this. And there was that one time last week where this just happened to me. And as a congregant, I can imagine myself just falling asleep. Like, oh, my word, don't bore me with your stories, you know? Um, but, for example, if we're singing Blessed Be Your Name, and if I just, maybe without commentary, read a portion of Job chapter 1, where Job dropped to his knees in, in worship and said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we start singing. I mean, no surprise to us that the word of God is powerful and effective. It does not return void. Mm-hmm. You know, let the word of God do the work that it's intended to do. And then, and then sing a song that supports this scripture that we just read. And, and I, I've just seen hearts and, and, and hands uh, lifted and voices lifted all the more because scripture is read. And so I think, I think the longer I lead worship, the more I do that and the less I comment. Yeah. Great point. That sounds like something powerful. And I think that's probably even more important. Uh, we face a lot of biblical illiteracy and people don't realize they're actually singing scripture sometimes when they sing our worship songs. True. <laughs> right. Right. So what are your, uh, what are your core convictions about leading worship in the church? Uh, leading where we should be pointing to Jesus. That should be the number one thing that, uh, that we as worship leaders are doing. And I think, I think it's easy. I mean, in today's day and age, even going back, you know, 50 plus years where we associate being on a stage, standing in front of a microphone with uh, a spotlight in your face, you're facing one way, the audience is facing the other way. There's, it's, it's hard to not be self-absorbed when that happens. It's really, really difficult as worship leaders to be in that physical situation and not make it about yourself. It's one thing to say, I, I, I did a, a concert on this Christmas tour this past week at a church and we were backstage getting ready to walk on and this particular church in Enid, Oklahoma had signs all over the back wall that said, it's not about you. It's not, I mean, like plaques, like they, they wow. spent money on these plaques wow. <laughs> all over the back hallways. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not because we need that constant reminder. Yeah. You're about to walk on stage and this is not about you. This is not about your new pair of jeans that you got. This is not about your new haircut. This is not about your fancy shoes. This is not about your really nice guitar. This is not about how great you play guitar or how great you sing, which is such a, it's such a rub. And you know what? I think we're constantly as humans, we're constantly going to live in this tension. And I think it's okay. I think God is very patient with our, with our failings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we are, we're going to do our best and we are going to, we're going to go out there and yeah, we, of course you, you don't want to look like slobs. That would also be distracting. You want to dress nicely. You want to you want to be presentable, and yet there there does come a really interesting place where you could potentially cross the line. And again, you can't please everyone, so you could dress one way to be not distracting, and you end up offending half of the audience or the, the congregation. <laughs> and so sometimes it feels like a lose lose situation. Um, but I think you know we we know from Samuel and, and David that God looks at the heart, and uh, so. I hope I'm not getting away from your question. It's so important to me that we don't point to ourselves. It's so important that I do my best to figure out what I'm doing to draw attention to Jesus. And it could be what I wear. It could be the way I sing. I've always said, the, the and I've, I've never actually done this, but one of the most beautiful ways to lead worship would be behind a curtain. Hmm. I've always wanted, to, always wanted to try that. Like just if your church happens to have a curtain, just drop it and put the worship team behind it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then and then lead and and then allow, but but you know what? We need to watch each other because I mean I, I'm I could argue with myself all day long because when I'm 
when I'm watching someone worshiping on stage and they're fully engaged in you know, being foolish and undignified as they worship God, who am I to judge to say they're doing that for their own attention? Maybe they're truly engaging. And I'm like, man, my heart isn't there right now. And I want to be there. They seem to be so involved in seeking the face of the King of Kings. I want to be like that as well. And that's a part of worship leading. And you watch your worship leader worship. Yeah, right? that's good. So what are then kind of following up to that, would you say are some good and bad trends that you observe in the current state of worship in the local church? Mm, that's good. Yeah, trends is a great word. I think of the, uh, the, the, the rub that always exists with me and, and it has morphed a little bit over the years between horizontal and vertical lyrics. Uh, for those who are not familiar with that terminology, vertical yeah. simply meaning we're singing vertically to God as if we are down and he is up. Horizontal meaning we're proclaiming to each other whatever we're proclaiming, truths about who God is. Uh, and I remember seasons where it's like, well, you know, worship can't be horizontal. It has to be has to be vertical. And then we started singing, how great is our God? And I feel like years went by before anybody realized that this is not a vertical song. This is horizontal. I'm proclaiming to you and you're proclaiming to me how great our God is, where it's almost like we're singing about him as if he's not in the room. And, I, and that's completely okay to me because I have thoroughly found myself uh, engaged in the presence of God, recognizing his spirit and singing to him the words of Chris Tomlin, how great is our God? Sing with me, how great. We're not saying, God, would you please sing with me? It's me singing to you, my fellow brother and sister, sing with me how great our God is. Uh, and, and I also think about how there's, especially as a writer, when you sit down in a writing room with other worship leaders and say, let's write a song. And we find ourselves, and this is this is a necessary thing. It's part of the craft to say, is it okay to say this? What what if we said that? Like, in some of the some of the um, the pushback, which always exists in a situation like a creative situation like that, is well, is it confusing if in the verses we're singing about God, and in the in the ver in the choruses, for example, we're singing to God? Is it confusing to go back and forth? And you know, one way to take care of that is you know with capitalization. Because when you're putting lyrics up on the screen, I always make sure that the the you the, the Y in the word you Y O U is capitalized when we're singing about God. Right. Or, you know, yeah. Referring to like the that. deity that's capitalized. Sometimes because of the wording of the song, like I sing, this is I would not consider the, this a worship song, but people sing along with me in concert, and they, I think they have a, an experience of worship. They're singing the words of Jesus, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened." When I type those letters out, I have to capitalize the M and me because it's Jesus talking about Himself. It's not something that's necessary, but it helps clarify to the singer, to the worshiper, worshiper. Oh, that's who He's talking about. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And uh, going back to my, my my thought, there's a lot of back and forth that happens sometimes. For I think the greatest example is Ten Thousand Reasons" by Matt Redman, the chorus. Uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. It's kind of like David in the Psalms addressing himself. Worship his, capital H, his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. The last line switches from horizontal to vertical. We'll worship your holy name. Yeah. And nobody complains. Everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Like, wait a minute, are we? am I worshiping the pastor? Like, no, no one's confused. <laughs> so, you know, a, a trend could be, uh, you know, it has to stay horizontal or it has to be vertical or it can't be both. And, and like, no, it, it's it, it, those things, those trends come and go of what you can and cannot do. So I guess the rules, what I would call it to be like a, a bad, you know, a bad trend. Um, the octave leap uh, is, is what I was something 
uh, sometimes you know, you know what I'm talking about, like when you're singing something low, da, 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 and then you sing it high, da, 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 and um, that was probably a horrible example. If anybody wrote that worship song, they should they should unwrite it. <laughs> <laughs> what what I just sang, but there's there's um, I don't want to just bash the octave leap because I've written the octave leaps and I've sung the op- octave leap. It's often in a bridge, you know, after the chorus where you're just singing low, 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 and then it just jumps and, and the, the passion is, is suddenly there. But it's really difficult to sing. You know, the human range of the, the average voice is not that, it, we're, we're not all Pavarotti's, right? Right. Well, so, uh, you know, some of the best songs have a limited range. And I think that's, I think that's good for the average person um, for singability. It's so important to me that these songs that we sing in church um, are singable. And doable. Yeah, good word. I could I could go on about good and bad trends. But uh, that's great. That's can great. I can I ask a question real quick? We don't have to put this in the podcast, but I, I I'm really oh, curious good. about this, especially after Aaron was just talking about this. Um, one of the things I've heard about a lot of worship artists is that they tend to raise the keys of the songs at their concerts so that people have to sing a little louder. Um, mm. How do you feel about that? Have you have you done that yourself? Do you know of people who do that and does does that go against what you're thinking of in terms of I want other people to sing as well? I actually lower my keys in concert as opposed to studio to keep me from losing my voice. I remember reading a uh, <laughs> keep me as, as the, the guy behind the microphone from losing his voice before halfway through the concert. I remember reading an article by Chris a couple of years, Chris Tomlin a couple of years ago, of quite a few years ago where I think there was a general outcry about why are your songs so high? Um, and he was like, listen, I, I have a higher voice than the average dude. And so I'm going to sing and record a song in a key that's comfortable for me. And you should feel free to sing them in keys that are comfortable for you. And I was like, that's so obvious. Why did I not think of that? You know? And so there's something to be said for like, if I, if we if we one day discover what key is universally or what what uh, note range because it doesn't really matter the key depending on where the melody is within that key, um, but what what note range is comfortable for the average human? If we all stayed within there, I I might not sound as oh, how am I trying to say this? You want to hear a song performed with passion, and that might be a low Johnny Cash approach to something if it's just kind of gravelly down there. But you also, like, I, I've done songs where I key them down in the name of them being comfortable for the masses. Mm-hmm. And I just don't sound like I believe it anymore because it's too low for my range. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, and I, I wish it were as, as I wish the, 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 the science behind um, what, like, the fact that men's and female voices are not an exactive octave difference. I wish it were that easy. It's, it seems to be a little bit less than an octave. You can't just say, let's find a key and all the men can sing at the top of the range and all the women will comfortably be able to sing at the top of their range. That, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. voices were not made an octave apart. They're like a little bit less. And so it's that, I think that's what the beauty of you have um, worship teams who will have a couple songs led by a guy and then a couple songs led by a girl. And yeah. these, these women have been harmonizing with male worship leaders for years and it's it's the least we could do as men to be willing to try to harmonize with a woman a woman worship leader for a couple songs or just sing the octave lower. There's times that I, you know in, in church when I'm not leading and or even if I am leading and a woman it's, it comes time for a woman to sing a song in the key that's comfortable to them. All of a sudden you can hear the women in the in the house their voices are louder than the men and it's I don't really get to wail 
you know, like I, like I might want to, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make where I have to sing something like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. As a, and I just want to go for it personally as a guy. <laughs> I want to sing that at the top of my range. I don't know necessarily that raising a key is going to make people sing louder because they might just give up and drop the octave and sing an octave lower, you know, and then it just sounds like it does. It's a big mystery. It's, it's again, that tension exists. It will always exist. I don't think we're going to figure this one out. Yeah. So Aaron, uh, late 80s, two stops out of Toccoa Falls College. I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and mm-hmm. worship, church worship music was beginning to change. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd go away to seminars, and uh, they would tell us the stuff that we needed to be doing, the songs we needed to be singing, these new worship choruses that were coming online at the time. And uh, on the drive back home from the seminar, I would realize that I had the same pianist, when I got back to my church, uh, you know, mm. 70 years old, barely able to play the the hymns, although I appreciated her because one Sunday I ended up leading worship, uh, leading music uh, a cappella when she was gone on vacation and got the hiccups. Mm. So that yeah. was that was one of my worst uh, ministry horror stories. But I, <laughs> I think a lot of pastors can relate with what I'm saying, as in they would like to lift the level of their worship music and you know, perhaps be more cutting edge to help engage people uh, in worship in the presence of the Lord, but they don't have the uh, gifted and talented people hanging around the church. So to that pastor, what kind of advice would you give them? That's so, it's so practical. That's so beautiful. I would be hard pressed to not, if you said, if you said to me, like name some of your top worship experiences you've had in your life, most of them are, are done with just a guitar somewhere. Okay. Or just a piano somewhere, and uh, I think we in the church, maybe it's because we've seen too many YouTube videos of of Hillsong and Bethel or whatever big church you 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 look to, and we think we have to do it that way, otherwise it's it doesn't count. And I would just say, uh, yeah, there's it's 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 truly important to find the skilled musician. You know, you could go back and just look at the emphasis that God placed on Moses finding the skilled craftsman to build the tabernacle. And that's, you know, or, you know, is it Psalm 33? It says, play skillfully. There's, there's something to that that actually matters. And if you're in a small church congregation and it doesn't happen to be in Nashville where everybody and their aunt plays an instrument well, <laughs> then... I, I would say feel very, very comfortable in saying we're going to change things up or however, whatever the best way that transition works. I mean, forget the transition aspect of it, but to say, no, we're not going to have a full band. We're going we're gonna to have one person on a piano because this person is qualified in the sound that we're kind of looking for. Yeah. And I know we don't have a drummer and we don't have a bass player. And even if we did have a bass player, we don't own a subwoofer. So it wouldn't matter anyhow. Nobody would hear him. <laughs> Let's just go simple. Like when I, when I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2010 with my family, it was simply to be involved in the community of my dear friends, to live life with them and to go to church with them, to worship with them. Um, it didn't make sense for me as a guy working out of Nashville to move to Pittsburgh, but that's where we felt God calling us to. Primarily to go back to Crestmont Alliance Church, to to be members, to to attend, 
to get involved. But I was there for, I think, about nine full months before someone said, would you help us with worship? And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. And a few months later, they said, would you would you take the reins of the worship department? And I said, I, I feel led to say yes to that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I obviously went through a lot of prayer before I, you know, I, I didn't just change things up. But I felt like, and there were, there were a lot of people on stage, and, and a lot of those people were good, and not but not all of them were, I would say, qualified skilled musicians and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash anybody. These people are, were, were skilled at certain things. Yeah. And I just felt impressed to like, Hey, let's, let's, um, let's strip it down. Let's get really, really simple. Let's not make the presentation the point. And I don't think the people who were in charge before they weren't trying to make the presentation, the point, their hearts were pure. Sure. I just wanted to take a different approach. My, my approach was no more pure. It was just a different approach. It was what was on my heart, you know, mm-hmm. and, and part of the way that was manifest was I, even though I love to lead from piano, I decided to lead from guitar. And there was a guy named Craig. I said, would you be willing to play piano pretty much every week? Um, he said, yeah. And I think we, I'm not even sure we had percussion. I think for a few months, it was just guitar, acoustic guitar and piano. And we would do whatever song we would do. We would do like the choruses. We would do the songs that were near and dear to us. We would do hymns. Every once in a while, I would add a song that I'd written. And if it worked, we'd do it again. And if it didn't work, we would never do that again. Um, and then maybe three months later, we added a djembe, not even a drum kit, just a little yeah. hand drum. Yeah. And a few months later, we added um, a female vocalist. And um, and little by, you know, then we would add a couple months later a violin. And, it was, and it, my, my thought was, and this is what I conveyed to the church and to the team of elders and the worship team, if we can't figure out, if we have a problem worshiping with very, very little instruments on stage, then we've got a bigger problem than just developing a worship team. Something's wrong with our hearts. Let's see, let's let's strip it all back and see if we can still worship without all the bells and whistles. Yeah, great, great. So keep it simple and keep, keep it all it about Jesus. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Can't go wrong with that. You know, I'm thinking of another trend that, that I mentioned a couple of trends that bothered me. Um, a trend that I'm noticing in worship now is, is being more and more unafraid of content. And the content I feel is getting thicker. It's getting kind of some some of the content and lyrically is what I'm talking about is is kind of sounding like a hymn. I don't mean to just put hymns in general on a pedestal because I've I've found some 200 year hymnals that have hymns that are pretty pretty low on the theology. So just because it's a hymn doesn't mean it's great. Right. The hymns that we the hymns that we know and sing regularly are probably great because we keep singing them because they're great. Does that make sense? It does. You know, they've, they've survived. They've stood the test of time. Uh, but there are some new songs that are coming. I was just thinking, I listened this morning to uh, to Hillsong's So Will I, 100 Billion mm, Times. So I'm like, song. this is a fantastic song. And maybe you're not all in line with the theology of, of Hillsong. I, you know, from what I know, what I've experienced, I don't listen to their messages regularly. I've not heard anything that's offensive to me. But some people are offended. But I think there are... Um, uh, I think there are there's a lot of great truth that can come um, out of a church or out of an organization, even if you don't believe that their theology is the same theology that we're going to keep for ten thousand years in heaven, right? Yeah. And as soon as we start pointing fingers, then we we start thinking that our theology is perfect, and I don't think that my theology is perfect. I'm not skilled to understand, right? Yeah, I've already I confessed that. I get that. I think we're all in that same boat together. Absolutely. Amen. So uh, thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate you being with us today. You've shared a lot of great uh, insights and really appreciate you, your appreciate your spirit. 
Glad you're part of the Alliance. Glad you're Tacoa Falls College alumni. So, Amen. Go Eagles. Blah, blah, blah. Go Eagles. <laughs> Screaming Eagles now, I do believe it. Screaming is. Eagles. That's right. I love it. All right. Thanks, man. God bless you and uh, God bless you. Uh, continue to do what you're doing to the glory of Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Likewise. Great talking to you. All right. Thank Peace you. Peace, my brothers. Bye bye. Well, Alan, I think that was a great conversation with sure Aaron was. Schust. Helpful to worship leaders and help, helpful to all of us who are just uh, worshipers. Keep it simple and keep that focus on uh, on Jesus. It sure was a good one, and uh, we're pretty confident you're liking what you're hearing. So go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And share it on social media, because we would love to have you share it with your friends. It'd be good for them, and we appreciate it because it helps us too. Thanks a lot, everyone. Join us next time on the Equipping You podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.